Hello, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast listeners. This is producer Colleen. We are here today with a special conversation that went out to our patrons back in March, but we loved it so much we wanted our broader audience to get to listen to this. This was part of our Lent series, A Just Lent, Learning to Love What God Loves. And it was a conversation with Ruth, Tina, and Sandra Van Opstel. Sandra sat down with Ruth and Tina to discuss why Lent is so significant to her as someone who is formed in the Latina Roman Catholic tradition. She talked about why diverse spiritual practices lead us to solidarity and mutuality. We found this conversation to be insightful and important to all of us as we seek to be leaders doing God's important justice work. Now, I know we are not in the Lenten season, but we found that this conversation about justice and God's heart to be evergreen, no matter what the season might be. And we hope that you enjoy it. If you liked what you heard, these are the kinds of conversations that we have over on Patreon. You can become a patron of the podcast and receive exclusive patron-only content today by going to patreon.com slash transformingcenter. We would love to have you there. And now, please enjoy this conversation with Ruth, Tina, and Sandra Van Opstel. Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm Ruth Haley Barton, your host, and we are journeying through Lent, and specifically during this Lenten season, looking at the, at the matter of justice. There are so many things that we can do self-examination around during the Lenten season, and this season we felt like we just wanted to bring all of our focus of self-knowledge, self-awareness, self-examination, and confession around this subject of justice, because it's just there everywhere for us to consider, and it's often a blind spot for us as Christians. So this season, we're looking at a just Lent, learning to love what God loves, and that would be justice, and speaking to many different authors uh, who have contributed to this little book by InterVarsity Press, A Just Passion, A Six-Week Lenten Journey. And today, I'm really pleased to have Sandra Maria Van Opstel, who contributed to this little book, and also she is a second-generation Latina and the executive director of Chasing Justice. She is also an executive pastor at Grace and Peace Church and is an activist on the west side of Chicago. She has contributed to the New York Times bestselling book, A Rhythm of Prayer, and she's also the author of The Next Worship, which we carry in our Transforming Resources when we're on retreat together. So we're just thrilled to be here with you today, Sandra. Welcome. Thanks. It's great to be with you guys. Thank you. And then we also have, as always, Tina, our lovely host with us. And so she's been with us all the way along in this in this season. And so Tina, welcome back to you as well. Well, Sandra, let's start with your experience of being formed in a Latina Roman Catholic tradition where Lent has been very significant to you in your origin story. We have not had anyone yet um, on our podcast season to talk about what it's like practicing Lent within the Roman Catholic tradition and how that has shaped you. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, you know, I, I have such a 
I think, rich and fun experience in many denominations, kind of exploring what it means to be with Christ and to be, to have Christ in me. And as a very, very young child, I was very committed to a local parish. You know, my mother, my abuela, which is grandmother in Spanish, constantly going to church with them, going through catechism, getting my first communion and heading to confirmation. Basically, that's where we were heading. Um, mm-hmm. and then kind of switched out of the, that tradition. But I would say that, that, Fundamentally, the way that I understand Jesus and the church as communal and the rhythms of the church, you know, kind of all the aspects of worship were deeply formed in my early years growing up in a Catholic church and Mm -hmm. specifically in a Latina Spanish speaking parish. And so Mm -hmm. uh, understanding the church's primary is the primary community, I think, for most immigrants that come into the U.S. and into many countries that they're in church, they find community, they find people who are like-minded. They may not speak the same language, but the components of the of the worship time in a mass are similar, and so they can follow along in their own languages. That experience deeply shaped my understanding of Christ and community and worship. And during these times, like during Lent, during Advent, during Pentecost, I seem to kind of return to those rhythms as a way of coming back to myself, I would say, because I've been through so many traditions that it's kind of a way of coming back to myself and my family's faith practices of origin. Mm-hmm. Were you, did you, your parents were immigrants and you came with them then. So you have that early experience of, of being an immigrant as well, or my parents, did they immigrate before you were born? They came to the States and met here. And so I was born in Chicago. Yeah. And so, but from an early age, you know, we uh, were primarily in a, in a Spanish speaking community and went to a Spanish speaking parish. And even when we moved out to the suburbs, um, we found a local parish that had services in Spanish, primarily for my grandmother, because she was always the one that we went to church with. So, Mm -hmm. How did your early experiences of Lent within the Catholic tradition shape you? What's inside you in terms of sensibilities, the shape of your soul that you would trace back to your experiences of Lent within the the Roman Catholic tradition? The idea of Lent being described as as Christ's passion, you know, as in the context Mm -hmm. of suffering, I think Mm -hmm. is central to the way I understand Lent and not primarily in my suffering, though I do mm-hmm. practice the abstaining from things and mm-hmm. adding new practices, but, but really honoring the, the, the life and death of Christ and mm-hmm. obviously the resurrection on Easter, but the mm-hmm. journey that Christ modeled for us as his followers that in order to live is to die, you know, to die to ourselves, to die to our particular preferences, to kind of centering ourselves in the world, understanding God in relationship primarily to ourselves, making ourselves the sun and everything else around us orbits around us. So I think the idea of passion and suffering and that theme in a communal sense, especially. So Christ's life and death were an embodiment, an an example, and an act that were for for the salvation and the freedom of the world. And so I think understanding that the way that we empty ourselves or the way that we walk with Christ, the way that we decide not to do certain things in life is not necessarily for our formation, though I do think it forms us, 
but it's for our role and responsibility within our community and within the world. So I think the idea of Christ's passion being not merely an invitation for our individual formation, but Christ's passion and suffering being an invitation for us as a community, that what we do always impacts those around us. And that's also what I try to teach my children. It's like how we live impacts everybody else, how we purchase, where we purchase, what we do with our money, how we love or don't love, how we include or don't include. All those things impact the people around us in our in our community and our neighborhood. That description is a great definition of justice in a lot of ways of how we live impacts everyone around us. And so being very intentional about justice with your with your family and as well as with your church. I, I'm just curious, what are some of the um, justice issues that are closest to your heart? Because you do so much work mm-hmm. um, in this area. I was just curious about what are the ones that are touching you in this in this season of your life? Well, I think proximity obviously impacts all of us. If we were to ask one another that same question to all of us, I I think it would probably have most most uh, to do with proximity. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, as both as the daughter of immigrants and as someone who pastors in and lives in and neighbors in an immigrant community, I think our systems and and kind of processes and policies around immigration are the justice issue that most impacts Mm -hmm. me on a regular basis. For me, those things are, they're not political, they're not social, they're pastoral Mm -hmm. concerns, they're, they're personal concerns about the way that I love the people that live in my building and around me. And in this particular moment, I think the exploitation of immigrant children, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. through trafficking, uh, Mm. through, sex trafficking or through exploitation and work. I mean, there's constant information that's coming out on a weekly basis about what's happening to unaccompanied minors, children that are separated from their parents and how they, what they do to survive. Uh, And I think we have a children's ministry in Spanish that it's larger than our English children's ministry. And it's, it's always growing and also revolving like people coming in and out. And I think about all those lovely, beautiful human lives that are coming in and out of our building. And I don't know how their stories will end up. So Mm -hmm. I think that's one of them. Mm -hmm. Housing is attached right to it because housing Mm -hmm. and immigration are always linked. That's probably the one I have the most proximity to. Yeah. I was really caught by your phrase um, when you, you just very offhandedly said, you know, that for you, it's not political. And I, and I just had this awareness pass over me that when we make stuff political, it actually makes it easy to dismiss it, you know, and that some of these issues that really are about human beings, when we make them political, it's almost like we can't talk about them, you know, we, we, it, it, it's, it sets it aside when actually it, it is very, it's just human. It's about our humanity. The, the things that you've listed are about our humanity and that to make those things political or to assume that because someone is interested in this or that or, you know, like immigration or has passion for that is working for justice within those arenas, that if we can just, you know, call it political, we can actually in many ways minimize it or set it aside versus like as you've done in, in the way that you've described it, you're keeping it about the, the precious children, the, the, the actual humans that that these issues represent and i just felt sad that so many of these human issues we 
make them political as a way to actually set them aside and maybe not even have to deal with them. Hmm. Yeah. And I think if, if we were to think about even your, our own relationships, that, that our communities that extend from us, right? If we were to think about all of the systems and structures and policies that do affect them, whether it's education or, or as, as women, you know, like, uh, what, what women have access to equal pay, all these different things that are in society that are important. They're very important, but they usually start with the passion for them typically starts with proximity to the people that are most impacted by them. So if you start to have conversations with, with mothers in your community, or fathers in your community, you find out that all the school children are having the same situation happen in school and that they're not getting adequate and equitable education, then you can tutor them all you want. But the reality is you're gonna have to start asking questions about why the system is set up that way. Mm-hmm. But I don't think typically I have not entered into those, into those experiences through kind of like an ideal about how I want the world to be and I'm going to change it. It comes through a relationship. I have mm-hmm. very close friendships with Asian American brothers and sisters. And over the last couple of years, it hasn't taken a lot for me to see how the narratives around who they are impact their life experiences and their fears uh, for their, particularly for their parents and grandparents as they're out and about and the violence against them. So I think it's proximity to relationship that opens up a whole set of questions about what does it mean for me to love you? What does it mean mm-hmm. for me to be in solidarity with you? What does it mean for me to, to stand with you in the things that impact you and your family? And then from that vantage point, I think you start to see, Oh, that's actually set up in a way that impacts them differently than it impacts me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I think it's, for me, it's all about people that are made in God's image mm-hmm. and God's creation that God made and all the ways that we interact with those things. And how does our faith form our relationship to both creation and to one another? And how should we be formed? That's kind of, kind of the question I'm asking, which I think you're always asking. It's like, how should we mm-hmm. be formed? This is how we have been yeah. formed. How mm-hmm. do we get here? Now, how do we form right. something different? Mm-hmm. Right. And even naming the places where things are deformed, mm-hmm. you know, like this is deformed. Yeah. How do we enter into a process whereby it gets transformed, you know, because these deforming uh, experiences and situations create distortions, mm-hmm. you know, within us as humans. Um, and so how do we, you know, transform these situations so that people can experience the transformation that comes from the goodness? than the deformation that comes from all that they're lacking. Yeah. And I think that sometimes people think, well, there are two ways. One is you change the way you think about things and that changes the way you act. That's true. Mm -hmm. Another thing is you change what you're doing and that changes the way you believe. And that's also Mm -hmm. true. So I think Lent is one of those invitations where you change some behaviors or practices as a way of interrogating what you believe about the world. So you may give up social media as a way of creating simplicity, you know, like kind of taking out some voices that are out there to ask the question, well, how is my soul? How am I with my creator? What are my real passions? Um, what do I think about the world if I'm interacting with real people face to face, people mm-hmm. I can smell that's standing yeah. that I can smell those practices that invite us to new ways of understanding. Um, and I think, for example, uh, for Lent, you know, we're thinking about how to be, how we can increase our generosity as a family. And my, my sons are eight. And mm-hmm. so 
they're asking questions about, well, why do we, why do we do that? And I'm saying, because, because Christ was so generous. Christ was so generous that he gave everything. So what would it look like for us to practice that kind of generosity so that in the world, there aren't a few people who have a lot mm-hmm. and a lot of people who have yeah. so little. Right. And so my hope is that by that practice, they're paying attention to what does generosity look like in relationship to our understanding of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure all of us have those Lent pra- I don't know. What do you guys have for Lent practices that mm-hmm. help change your perspective? <laughs> Fasting makes a difference for me. And so whether it is I'm not doing a full 40 day fast. Uh, I'm picking different things as I go along. But uh, to me, that helps sharpen. And what you just said, interrogating what you believe. I, I love that. And I think that that is what fasting does for me. And whether it is the what I not just believe, but the ways in which I've allowed myself to be distracted, the ways in which I've allowed myself to walk slowly instead of run, <laughs> like all the things that are sort of off kilter. When I fast, I can it's easier for me to get focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, just uh, the actual focus on justice this season, to have that be what I'm reading about, what I'm talking about, what I'm praying about, w- walking through the world with the eyes open for big and little ways that I can do something different this season, you know, with, with bringing, rather than letting the Lenten focus be so broad. You know, like God reveal anything to me about me that I need to know more about, you know, bringing the focus in this season has been, you know, very powerful for me and to be praying actively that God would reveal what I need to know myself this season and where it is that I can contribute in small ways and in larger ways has to to bring the focus to one topic this season has been really powerful for me, you know, to kind of live it and breathe it and pray it and, you know, keep your eyes open for what God is revealing um, in one specific area has been a, a real discipline and and very powerful for me this season. I think oftentimes I've seen Lent as being so broad that I haven't gotten anywhere with it, but keeping a focus this year has been important. And even what we're doing here in the Transforming Center to to bring our focus to this feels like a really important practice for us. We're not just doing podcasting, but we're really intentionally as a staff interacting with our guests' perspectives. And we're listening along together. We're praying together into Lent, doing self-examination together, having important conversations. And that's been the practice mm-hmm. for us in, in this season. Sandra, you mentioned that the Transforming Center helped you to bridge or to make the bridge to a, what you called a Reforma Costal BIPOC pastoral space. I was wondering if you want, oh, first of all, that Reforma Costal, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> that just cracked <laughs> so, me up. I yeah, absolutely so love that. Yeah, so <laughs> I'd like to hear you define what Re- Reforma Costal yes. is. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know yet either. I'm still exploring <laughs> that. Two two degrees, two seventy degrees later, I'm still waiting to figure out what Amen. that is. You know, I think the Transforming Center came at a time in my life when I was really asking questions about what part of my faith practices had been taken from me as I entered into white evangelical spaces. Oh, so good. Yeah. So a lot of what we're talking about now in, I mean, a broader, I think broader church spaces, embodiment and somatic practice. I just feel like that's Latinos all the time. I, no one has to use the word embodiment or somatic to Latinos because we're always in our bodies. Mm-hmm. It's a part of the way our ancestors and our traditions have taught us to be. 
in partially because of the the mixture of indigenous and black uh, cultures within Latin America of really people that were in their worship. It's what you smell. It's what you feel. It's what you, but so much of that was taken away from us through the, you know, missionary industrial complex and the colonization really of Latin America and the rest of the world with its Christianity. And I think that there has to be a way of untangling some of that. And for me, I've, I've never been one to kind of throw everything out. I'm asking questions about how do I disentangle the, the threads that are useless really and toxic to the, th- the ways I grew up. So a lot of what I embraced within my Catholic tradition was undone for me within my evangelical kind of reformed discipleship and upbringing. And it was very hard for me to to reconnect with that. And so I think when I started reading, I started seeing a spiritual director, uh, Marilyn Stewart, who is amazing. And she started to, to invite me back into some practices that I had grown up with in the Latina church, in the Latina Catholic church. And she had said to me, Hey, you might want to connect with this organization over here that they follow the church calendar. So I think honestly, following the church calendar again mm-hmm. was like the most, it felt like the most anti like white Christian spaces I was in was like, what are you doing over there following the church calendar and using words like Advent, you know? And I just felt like, well, the world practices this. So for me, it was a way of connecting with, with the global church. So. And I had to do that even in my pastoral ministry is un, unlink people's perspectives of Advent and Lent and Pentecost being attached to a white Christianity and help them understand that it actually came from the earliest expressions of Christianity within scripture and in the early church. Some of those prayers and things that we read out loud and they just felt like anytime there was a prayer on the screen, it would just be like, no, we don't want that. It's pre-written. That's religious. Mm-hmm. And that's anti us. And so I think that the transforming center was there for me to kind of disentangle some things and find my own way. And so it was probably about a 10 years of disentangling or what we would now call deconstruction mm. or decolonizing. And now it's been probably five years of reconstructing and reforming and reorienting myself to back to myself in my own ways of knowing God within my community. You know, it was on retreat. It was because there were things familiar to me, like be in scripture, study the story Mm -hmm. of Moses, like be in the word, pray together. They were all very, very traditionally evangelical things I had done. And then with components of contemplative traditions that were different, viewing a portrait engaging with an icon, all those kinds of things that like Mm -hmm. holding a cross, like a little wooden cross and, repeating a, a breath prayer. So, I mean, those things were completely foreign to me in my adult years. And so they, that those practices helped me to, to really come back to myself and say, okay, well, mm-hmm. what, what of this is okay? And is it okay to burn incense or not burn incense? Am I allowed to burn sage? Is that okay? Like mm-hmm. those are all the questions I was asking myself. <laughs> is it okay to dance during worship? Once I came out of kind of my college years, like, is it okay to move my body? Is that like, too traumatic for everyone around me to see my body moving. Mm-hmm. So they were all, a pro- it was all happening at the same time, which I'm so thankful for because I work with young adults and, and younger leaders who are doing that right now. 
And, and in this climate, we find ourselves as a church, it's incredibly polarized, like more than mm, I think yes. more than ever before. Yes, it is. So mm-hmm. in the season I was doing that was like in the late nineties, early two thousands, you know, it felt safer because everyone thought we were getting along. It was all this post-racial kumbaya multi-ethnic world. So we all thought we were getting along. We didn't know we weren't. Um, and so it was a little <laughs> bit, it was a little bit safer to do that then. And I, and I try to like right now it's like holding that space with these emerging leaders. It's like, wow, it's really hard to disentangle and deconstruct all this while you have to pick one of two sides, neither of which were made for us as people of color. They weren't, neither one. Mm-hmm. And so we have to find our own way. So mm-hmm. I would say those are the things um, that started for me with my spiritual director, with the Transforming Center and other resources like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's one of the most, and, and you're not the only one who was raised in a Catholic, with a Catholic background and then kicked the whole thing to the curb when they became a Christian. And then in the Transforming Center, they feel like their tradition was returned to them. And just with tears at the at the end, they'll say, I just feel like something that's so important, such an important part of me has been returned to me and given back to me. And and what the, the word there is integration, right? And integration is really powerful when we experience God bringing all parts of ourselves together to contribute to a feeling of wholeness, to a sense of wholeness, a, a sense of wholeness that God always and always did intend. It's just we humans who separate things that ought to belong together. So I think, I think that's, you know, really so very significant in a justice conversation is the ability for someone to live fully as their whole selves. With their, with their cultural background and their religious traditions and all that's been given to them by God to make them uniquely who they are, that a transforming experience is the integration of all that into a wholeness, into a oneness. And then this invitation to live out from that place, which it seems like that's the journey that you've been on and that you're like fully inhabiting now. Um, is <laughs> well, an integrated with the existence. help of so many, the therapist, <laughs> the spiritual director, the partner. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that is really... How else? I mean, I, I always tell people like, how else are we supposed to confront and stand up to g- generations and, you know, centuries of systems of injustice if we don't have a sense of who we are in Christ? Not just who we are, but who we are in Christ. And I think that that integration of knowing like, okay, I have gone on the journey and am still on the journey of saying these parts of who I am that people told me were not okay are actually the very things that help me to be the person to do the things that I do. Doing the work in the Enneagram and having done that over 20 years with the spiritual director and having written about those things and saying like, I, I'm not too much. I'm exactly enough. I'm mm-hmm. exactly who God wants me to be as an Enneagram aide because we're the people that ask the questions. And mm-hmm. at, when we come home and we feel rejected and alone, we ultimately look inside of ourselves and go, God is in this and I'm going to do this even if people keep rejecting me. Um, and so I think knowing that about myself is to say like, okay, I, I have some anchors on who I am in Christ and these scriptures that follow me throughout life or these things that I do, they are like really, I'm, I know who I am. I mean, it may have taken, you know, until getting into my forties, but I feel like I have a much better sense of who I am mm-hmm. and the things that God calls me to, of course, I'm going to go to them because I have this track record and experience with, with God that God has always been with me, even in what's hard. 
So somebody said something this Sunday at church. It was like, just because it's hard, just because something's hard doesn't make it wrong. And I just like, I wrote it down because I felt it like in my gut, like, oh, that's the story of my life, you know, like, um, mm-hmm. because it's, it, it does sometimes feel hard, but it doesn't make it wrong. It, it may be the right, the right kind of hard. That's right. That Jesus is inviting me into. And so, yeah, so helped by tools, just tools of contemplation, tools of community, tools of, um, you know, understanding yourself. And, and I, I believe that each one of us has that kind of story where, the more secure and safe we are in ourselves, the more willing we are to take risks in our spirituality and in our vocation and in the things God calls us to, because we know that we can leap from that place of security. And I wonder if that's why you resonated so deeply with Moses too, was because God used everything about Moses, including his ethnicity and who, including his experience of being a victim, a victim of an attempted genocide, really, he was a a person of justice. He was wired for justice because he had experienced injustice. Mm -hmm. And so his, everything about him, not just his spiritual calling, but his physical self, you know, his ethnicity and his experiences that he had had in his body, his experiences of injustice, you know, being a victim of injustice, being taken from his family and from his home and being placed in another cultural environment, being separated from his religious traditions and being required to live within other traditions. All of those things prepared him exactly for the work of God in and through him. And, you know, I I think that Moses' story is a story of integration, like we've been discussing it. All the pieces of who he was coming together into a sense of calling. Yeah. Um, And into a sense of passion for justice, you know? Yeah. It all came together within him as a person. And then he, you know, was at at the forefront of a a great work of justice, liberating the slaves from the rule of the Egyptians and bringing them into the kind of freedom that God had for them. Tina, do you have anything else? I do. First, you mentioned solidarity and how you're intentional about wanting to be in solidarity with people. And I'm just wondering for those who are listening and what does solidarity mean to you? And I just think that that's a word that is used lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so I think it'd be helpful for you to give some clarity, maybe even some um, everyday practices of what it looks like to live in solidarity with someone else. Good. Let's have that be our practice. Our practice for those of us who are trying to grow as justice Mm -hmm. leaders. I love that. Yeah, solidarity is to me, it's the sense of belonging to one another, belonging to one another through specifically through interconnected struggle that results in a collective flourishing. So that's how, that's how I describe it to, when, to my team. When we're talking about solidarity, when we're running, we're creating formation materials around solidarity. The way I understand it, it's the practice of saying, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. So to me, yeah. solidarity stand, says I'm with you. Whereas hospitality says, I welcome you. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're welcome into my space. Solidarity says, I'm with you. I, I stand with you. I see you. And then mutuality ultimately says, I, I need you. So you're, yeah. I'm changed because yeah. of your presence. And, and, and those three things for me are practiced in very concrete ways. Mm-hmm. When we say that to one another, what is impacting you is now impacting me. And that's part of the reason why we made decisions to live where we live and congregate where we congregate and shop where we shop is because 
if we're going to address the th- things that most impact our community, we have to actually be in proximity to those things in some way. So solidarity to me is belonging and interconnectedness, particularly I think through struggle to, to pursue this experience of, of human flourishing, of yeah. collective flourishing where everybody, everybody wins, where everybody is considered. I love that definition. Tell me, does solidarity mean that I have to agree with the person in order to be and stand with the person? Oh, I hope not, because I don't agree with a lot of people I'm in solidarity with. <laughs> solidarity just says, I, I, I see that. I, I may not know how to fix that problem. I may not, may not agree. You may have two different solutions to how to fix, to fix that or how to, to be together in that. But I see your humanity and I see that this is impacting you and I believe you. Mm-hmm. I believe you. Even if I don't see it from my perspective, I'm willing to kind of turn around and look at it from yours. Yes. And, and try to understand where you're coming from. So I don't think it means agreement. I think it means commitment. And I, I mean, for, for those of us that are in partnership and in marriage, I think that's kind of describes a lot of what we do is I'm not always in agreement mm-hmm. with my spouse, but, but I'm committed and we're with each other and we're going to support each other, even if we don't understand. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Thank you. What I like about that, if I can call it a schema, but that doesn't give it its due, but is that all of those things are really good. You're not diminishing any one of them. So hospitality, I welcome you. That's really good. It's important. Solidarity, I'm with you. I see how this is impacting you and I believe you. That is really good. And then mutuality, I need you and I'm willing to be in a mutual relationship with you. All of the, All three of those things are deeply, deeply good and potentially transforming as we practice them practicing hospitality, solidarity, and mutuality. So I thank you for that, that lens on which to view our world and to wonder, you know, where can I be in hospitality? Where can I be in solidarity? Where can I be in mutuality? And lean in Mm. when those opportunities come to us. Yeah. Thank you, Sandra. What a great conversation. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Blessings. 